Our Father, we count it a privilege to be able to worship here this morning, to know that as we turn our hearts to turn our faces toward you, that you have already turned your face toward us and have considered our, our lot and have sent the great Redeemer to rescue us. We are a rescued people. If there's anyone here this morning who does not know what it means to be redeemed, to be rescued, may your spirit deal with the heart, the very heart of that person, to bring them to the Savior. May we reflect upon your word this morning. May it grant us strength and grace as we, as we live out our years, our short number of years of time on this earth. May we have grace to do so to be able to do so in a manner that honors you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The idea of courage is um, seemingly, sometimes I think perhaps a, a, a secular concept. If, if you were to say to someone, does the Bible talk about love? Oh yes, the Bible talks about love. Faith? Oh yes, the Bible has a lot to say about faith and hope and love. What about courage? Oh, You've got some verses on the tip of your tongue about courage? Maybe not. Maybe we tend to think of that as a bit of a secular concept, but that would be wrong. That would be wrong. The Bible has much to say, I think, about courage, and I thought about this topic at least a month ago, and as you will shortly find out, I was influenced over the past week during my visit to Newfoundland to see my mother in the nursing home, and to take her to a museum. And that museum put on a special display in connection with Remembrance Day. And uh, that display caused me to think further about the idea of courage. In the middle of the First World War, the Battle of the Somme, which is a region of France, was uh, thought about in the beginning of the year 1916 and to uh, kick off that attack, the Newfoundland Regiment, the symbol of whom is a caribou, and there is a caribou at this location now in France, and uh, there is also one in St. John's, Newfoundland, a corresponding one. That attack at Beaumont Hamel, Beaumont Hamel, uh, began on July the 1st in the year 1916 by nearly 700 Newfoundlanders. And uh, that attack, as often uh, is the case in the First World War, involves going over the top into no man's land. What a thing. What a thing to do. The officer of record said, when the whistle blew, they came out of the trench as one man. And there had been earlier that morning a very large explosion, which meant that this attack was going to go, to go ahead. The explosion was so large that it is said that it was heard in London, England, from France. And the next thing that these men in this trench were waiting for was the sounding of a whistle. That meant that it was time. What would be going through your mind as you thought about the fact that you would be running into no man's land, a land of bomb craters, bodies, barbed wire, and now 
bullets from German machine gun emplacements. The man on either side of you would be climbing out of that trench at the same moment. And it would be in that era of kind of a, one of the most anachronistic wars in many ways from a technological point of view, a climbing out into a, an almost certain death. When we think of this, we, uh, I think it boggles our minds. The man around whom I've drawn a red circle, his name was Aidan Hogue, a Newfoundlander, about the age of my son. And he was one of the men who launched out of that trench with his brothers in arms early that July morning. And he ran down the hill. At the end of it all, 68 people answered roll call. Hogue himself was shot in the leg and also received a shrapnel wound. And um, he made it as far as a tree, as an apple tree that no longer looked like an apple tree that had two names. The, the Nufis called it, the, 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 in English, they called it the danger tree. It, this is French territory, and it was Le Buisson de Mort. And the Newfoundland Museum, which is now in a structure called the Rooms in St. John's, Newfoundland, has used photographs and modern technology to actually build that tree as lifelike and as realistic as can be done complete with the barbed wire around its trunk. That tree would have been full of bullets and shrapnel. It would have been charred. It had no limbs left. And this is where Aidan Hogue fell down with a bullet in his leg. That may have saved his life, the fact that he couldn't continue. If he had continued, he might well have met the fate of his brothers in arms. That is my, myself and with my mother um, beside, in front of me in her wheelchair and a, a friend that she has made at the nursing home, uh, a Mike, standing around the replica of Le Buisson de Mort in the Newfoundland Museum. Just behind us, you can see the end of a rifle. That is a recreation of Aidan Hogue. And they have photographs of Mr. Hogue, that young man, and they sent out a call, are there any living relatives of Mr. Hogue? And they found one. They found his grandson. They did a three-dimensional mold of his grandson's face and of his hands as they would have gripped that British rifle. And they built a, a replica of that man on the attack on Beaumont Hamill, and that is just behind Mike on the right. A terrible day. What would you have done? I think perhaps we can ask the question in general. In the moment of decision, courage is something that it seems to be associated often with a crisis. And there is a moment of decision. And we might look outside of ourselves and realize that we are in a situation of danger. This is a dire situation. We might look outside of ourselves and think about politics or uh, the reason for this entire crazy war. We might look then inside of ourselves and say, do I have within me what is needed to respond to this situation and go over the top when the whistle sounds? 
One wonders. It gives one pause. When you think about the word courage, courage, it is uh, a word with a root and with a, a, a suffix, and we could um, think about it from the point of view of its Latin roots. If we look at other words that end in age, salvage, well, the first part of that would be the root of the word salvation. The second part of that is a suffix which often means in relation to and often in the sense of an outcome of some kind, an aggregation or an outcome in relation to the root. Another example would be vintage. A wine that's rather old has a, has a good vintage. And we're speaking of something that comes from wine and the final uh, vintage may be very valuable. And wreckage. You have a shipwreck, and years later that wreckage is still sitting on the bottom. What about courage? The Latin word for heart is cor. The French word for heart is cœur. It is something, courage, that shouldn't surprise us, I suppose, is something that is related to an impetus from the heart. We remember Richard the, Richard III, sometimes called Richard the Lion-Hearted as a brave British king, heart like a lion, a man of courage, thinking of those underlying meanings. Let's think for, the, uh, for a moment then on the believer's courage. You know, when you think of, um, well, you think of the Bible and the various eminent people in the Bible, we can think of the Hall of Faith of Hebrews 11. Courage, courage. Abraham was asked to pull up stakes and to go somewhere that God would tell him to go. He didn't know at the time where it would be, but it was time to leave his estate. He was a very wealthy man. I would suggest to you it took courage to do that, to pull up everything, to pull up stakes and to move his family to a destination yet to be disclosed, takes a kind of courage. When Gideon was organized to break lamps and to move upon an enemy in an encampment with only 400 men, I would suggest to you that it took a lot of courage to do that. When Moses led the, the, the earthly children of God out over the Red Sea and stretched out his rod, I would suggest to you that took courage with the army coming up behind you to advance forward toward the ocean. We often think of Hebrews 11 as the hall of faith. These are heroes of the faith. And when you think of heroism, I think you also think of men of courage, men with heart, men with uh, a desire to follow the Lord's leading. I'd like to consider three passages briefly. And each one of them is connected to a word that starts, starts with the sound S. The source. What is the source of the believer's courage? Brother Uname just read Psalm 27. What signal might point in the direction of the need for courage and the exercise of courage? The Lord's words to Joshua 
in Joshua chapter 1. And finally, the believer, what circumstances might he find himself in such that he is going to be called upon to exercise courage? What might surround us? What might indicate to us that it's time? I don't know if the Lord has ever done that to you. You feel an impetus and you wonder, is now the time? Is this the moment? for me to exercise courage. I would suggest to you that if it is your experience to know and to draw upon the source of courage as a reality in your life, then you won't be blindsided by that. The Lord will, can and will lead you into situations that you might find rather daunting. But as you walk in the Spirit, Sometimes he will say, now, now is the time. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? It's a rhetorical question. What is the answer to this rhetorical question, please? No one, Kathy says, that's right. No one. The man who wrote this was looking back over his life. He had a present situation politically. But as he looked back over his life, I would suggest that there were two things that he could look back on that also stood out in his life that would be known to you. If he went back far enough to when he was a young man, he would have recalled that this idyllic setting it looks very idyllic. It looks beautiful. It looks safe. It looks, wait a minute. Was it always that way? Is the Christian life always about being in a pasture and enjoying the sunshine? No, it is not. David dealt with fearsome animals that were bound and determined to decimate his father's estate, his father's animals. And he wouldn't have it. I'm sure if it was me, I would go home and tell my dad, sorry. It was big. It had teeth. I wasn't up to it. We can reflect. I would suggest to you that not only is courage a matter of the heart, it is a matter of the mind. Do you remember... This is how David re reflected backwards. Do I remember? There were dangerous situations, and the Lord brought me through them. As we see in this psalm, the way that it ends, wait on the Lord. I trust that you know what that means, to wait on the Lord. In the context and in the life of the believer who waits on the Lord, the source of courage is there. The courage is there. It is to be drawn upon, and the believer knows that it can be drawn upon. It is a matter of having already having been waiting on the Lord, and then the courage is there. He shall strengthen thy heart in the moment of crisis. Wait, I say, he says again, on the Lord. 
Verse three, my heart shall not fear. He's hit the nail on the head. Our hearts sometimes quake in different situations. It might be something with teeth. It could be something with no teeth that's actually more scary. And we had the entire psalm read to us this morning. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and then I can be of good courage. I can have a strong heart. Is this our experience? What is the source? The source is the Lord himself. We can, we have a resource that the world knows nothing about. The tragedy is, I'm concerned that we don't draw upon it. We aren't people who wait on the Lord enough. So that when the signal comes or when the circumstances dictate, we aren't ready. We need to be ready. We need to have already have been drawing from that well, from that source. What about the signal? The signal for courage. What signal might portend the need for courage? Well, in this case, it actually just came directly from God himself. God told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. I believe that our, at least my, I should speak for myself perhaps, my concept of courage is, is too heavily weighted upon um, what I like to call ontology. Ontology has to do with what we are. Okay, if I see blood, I faint. It's just what I am. I can't do anything about it. I just do. And it's true, I almost do. It's just courage as well. It's, it's you know, you're sort of given perhaps an allotment of it. And that's how much I have. And that's it. If it's more than I'm up to, it's more than I'm up to. I don't have that much. It's, a, it's kind of a, an ontological concept. I can't do anything about how much of a scaredy cat I am or how much, you know, I might be brave once in a while. That's how much I have. See, that's not a very Christian concept. If you have the source, if you know the source, if you're drawing upon the source, you have a huge source of courage to draw upon. We're about to enter the land. God says to Joshua, be courageous. See, that totally contradicts this idea that you have certain allotment of this stuff called courage and that's how much you have. God says, be courageous. Well, I guess I have to be. <laughs> I have to obey. It's time. It's time to obey. It's time to listen to the Lord. It reminds me of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put the armor on. We're going in. We're going over the top. It's time. It's time. We need to be courageous. We have a source. I'm going to digress a little bit and, um, on that subject before I, I get into um, this any further. 
the psychiatrist, the, he passed away a few years ago, known as, um, his name, his name is uh, M. Scott Peck, and his books are very well known. And um, he believed in a triune God, and he believed in Christ, and he believed in a personal devil. This is a psychiatrist who believes in these things. And he came to these, re to these beliefs out of psychiatric training that says none of those things exist. There is no God, part of his training. There is no devil. This is a complete fiction. He completely reversed his thinking partway through his psychiatric career to believe that there is personal evil at work in the world and in people's lives, and God is the answer to it. What a thing. He became, uh, uh, his books became number one bestsellers on the New York Times bestseller list. He tells the story of a man who came to him with his life in a shambles. I'm gonna call this man the Sunset Man. This man came to M. Scott Peck and said, Dr. Peck, I have no relationships left in my life. I am estranged from my entire family. And not knowing what else to do, I have turned to alcohol. And the alcohol has only made my life worse. And I'm at the end of my rope, and I don't really know how all this happened. Through the discussions that this man, the Sunset Man, had with M. Scott Peck, Peck describes that this was a man of great sensitivity. Sometimes we don't think that men are very sensitive. This man was an unusually sensitive man, and he could be moved to the point of tears by a beautiful sunset. He was a very sensitive man. And what it was discovered in the course of his therapy was that if his children did things that upset him, it affected him so deeply that he didn't have the wherewithal to confront them. And then he would watch the children going downhill. And then his wife would be upset with what's going on with the children. And then he didn't have the wherewithal to actually interact properly with his wife about the family situation. And she became so frustrated with him that she left him. And the children became estranged from him. All because he didn't have the courage to confront the, these situations because he actually felt too emotional about them. It wasn't that he didn't care about them, it was actually the opposite extreme. He cared so much about these people and these relationships that when problems arose, he couldn't find it within himself to deal with them. I think there you have a, an interesting thing. I, mean, I mentioned about the teeth of a lion and so on. That, that's, that's in one way scary stuff. I think, you know, about a month ago we had the awards for the Star of Courage in Canada. There were men who jumped in and rescued people from drowning. And one thing you know is that when you jump in to rescue somebody from drowning, what could happen? You drown. They drag you down. People did that. And they got the Star of Courage. I suggest to you that this man, he would rather save somebody from drowning or pull them out of a burning house. That he could do. Confront his children about problems in his family? That was just simply too much. It takes, a, it, but you know what I'm saying to you is that it is, it is courage. It is the same stuff. In fact, I would argue that the kind of courage that you need to, to confront people in a godly and loving manner is an enormous amount of courage.
And there is a source for that. In fact, the Bible and God's Spirit together can give you the resources that you need to deal with these things in a way that the world knows nothing about. You need courage. There may not be actual physical teeth involved or guns involved or anything like that involved. But just the same, we need courage. We can be called upon at any time to speak a word in season, to confront someone about something that they need to hear. And we need the Lord in order to do that. David could think back before he confronted Goliath about being in the pasture. We'll consider that next. Joshua could think back and say, you know, we went in there. Caleb and I went in there. And we came out, and you know what happened, of course. These were the men that, says, that said, we, can, we think we can do it. By God's grace, we can do it. And the other guys would say, you should see the size of these people. They're... We're, we're not, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even go there. Let's go somewhere else. Let's leave. Let's turn around. We cannot go in there. They're too big. Joshua, that's Joshua. No, it doesn't matter. It might be as big as Goliath. doesn't matter. We haven't, Goliath is much later in the Bible. It's probably, you know, the same genome. doesn't matter. God is with us. And the riches are significant. The benefits are significant. Be strong. Be courageous. The, the Hebrew sense of this word courageous is to be undaunted, to be resolute, to be intrepid. It's almost uh, more in a military sense. The New Testament word for, for courage um, is, is often be confident. It's a, it's a bit of a softer concept. But you know, we're given the whole Bible for a reason. Because it, it embodies such a broad range of circumstances and of great meaning and depth that we can bring it all to our lives to help us and to teach us and to instruct us. And then we come finally to a young lad who is having a discussion with the king of the day, a man named Saul. Saul was the one who was supposed to be lion-hearted. And here's a shepherd boy telling him, don't, don't let your heart fail. No, but don't let, it, don't, don't let your courage, the courage, have courage. Don't let it evaporate. Let no man's heart fail of him. I'll go. I'll go. He knew at a, can I say, an emotional level, at a spiritual level, what it means to find that inner animation, that inner drive from God. He knew what that was like. And he also had acted upon that. I believe that you, you as, a, as a Christian, when you draw on the Lord, and you decide to act, and your mind is changed because you realize that something actual positive happened as a result of your obedience, that God was right. God was with you. God was right. 
and your mind is changed, and then the next time the Lord says, it's time again, I'm ready. I can do it. I dealt with this, I have dealt with worse. I have seen this kind of thing before. I'm your man. I can do it. It's possible, it's possible. And you have this young man telling the king, it's possible, it's possible. I delivered sheep out of the lion's mouth. I dealt with this, these terribly physically fearful situations before and God will see me through this one. His mind had been altered by his experiences as a child of God, having courage, seeing the good result, and keeping on going. I love that one. You know why I love that one? Here's this arrogant, godless giant of a man shaking his fist at God and God's people, and the stone is on its way, on its way to kill him to put an end to his arrogance. He will deliver me. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. I think as believers... We should echo this thought from Romans 8.31, this principle, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We need perhaps not only the, to realize that there is a, perhaps a classical kind of courage, a kind of courage that the world can sort of relate to, but we also need that animation from the Spirit of God, that willingness to obey God's leading, so that when it comes time and the Lord says, now, we can also say, if God is with me and I know he is, who can be against me? May the Lord bless these few thoughts to your hearts this morning. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you that we can look forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. But until then, we know that you have given us your spirit. You have not left us alone. Help us to be children who know what it is to walk in the spirit, to walk by the spirit, to be obedient. Help us to experience the things in our lives which will confirm to us that you are with us and the world cannot stand against you because the Lord Jesus, our Savior, has overcome the world. We ask your blessing as we part in Jesus' name. Amen.